all summer 16, all episode 16. It may be September, but it still feels like summer. I know, I know, but can we enjoy the weather and at least feign it for about an hour? Welcome to SlamCityDunk360.com. Unqua, Sonia Raymond Mora, Jeremy Epstein in our beautiful New York City studios. We have had a very up and down week in the sports world. Not so much personal lives, thankfully. Everything's been sort of, you know, well That's and That's what good. our listeners really care about. Yeah, you know, you really want to hear about our... I'm going gonna... to quit while I'm ahead, or at least while I'm behind. Big show today, especially when we compare whether or not the NFL or college football had the better opening weekend. More on that later on. But we've got to start with the Broncos holding it down against... The Carolina Panthers. Super Bowl rematch? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm shocked that um, Denver actually won that game. I was 100% convinced that Carolina's defense would be able to overwhelm Trevor Simeon, the rookie quarterback, making his first start. And it kind of did. He did throw two picks, but he was somehow able to come back. And, you know, Carolina misses that field goal at the end of the game. And it's another underlying story, which was Cam Newton's concussion issues, because if you saw some of those hits in slow motions, he took some hard helmet-to-helmet hits. But... I guess Denver's defense is for real, but I really don't think that down the line they're going to be able to rely on the quarterback to play that way every game. I agree. And let me actually ask you about that since we are talking about quarterbacks. The whole NFL safety protocol that they've used for concussions didn't apply to Cam Newton at all yesterday. He got hit in the helmet several hard times. several times. And the one time it was called for a penalty, the timing was off because it was offset courtesy of the intentional grounding. But the NFL didn't really protect. Right now, it's marquee player. He's the reigning MVP. So he should be getting the benefit of many of those calls, no? I don't think the NFL would want him to be out of the game on the opening in the first game of the regular season, especially with the Thursday night football. It's a big thing. I don't know if they want him out of the game. So I guess that's why no one really – I think what you're supposed to do is someone up top is supposed to see, you know, he gets hit in the head, call down to make sure he's going through the protocol. And that obviously didn't happen. (laughs) Well, let me just say this, because that's why I didn't talk for the past three minutes. But basically, I had to absorb all the information that's happened over the night with this whole Cam Newton and him getting abused by the Broncos the, the whole I night. I don't think abu- abuse, you, you have to hit him. You hit the quarterback. Well, yeah, but he much just, it's just, he was just getting destroyed. And, you know, the referees didn't say anything. But I'll, let me just say this. Cam Newton is, is a different type of quarterback. We all know that. And the Broncos did what they had to do. They had to make sure that he wasn't comfortable in the pocket. Even when he was on the run, they got to hit him. But some of these calls that the referees missed were just blank. They, they just blankly missed him. And it's just like, I don't know if the referees see it because Cam Newton can take all these hits or maybe because he's a different type of quarterback. But we all know that if it was like Tom Brady or Drew Brees, there will probably be like flags everywhere every time. This is true. It's a good point. So I don't understand why they did this. You know, the way I, I – you know, seeing it was that I believe that Cam Newton is probably the Shaq of the NFL or the LeBron James of the NFL where you got to hit him and, and, you know, he could take it and then he gets started getting annoying that he's not getting any calls or anything because he's so strong. I mean, a lot of players, especially like in basketball, you know, you see Carmelo's and LeBron's, they don't get many calls because they're strong. LeBron gets every call. Carmelo gets well, zero calls. Well, that, that too. But then LeBron started getting more calls in the finals and then, you know, LeBron like later in the series. LeBron gets every call. 
But to get back, gets, to, the, to, get back to the gridiron. To get back but, to the gridiron. But, yeah, but I'm saying, like, for Cam Newton, for instance, you know, you got a guy who's, who's you know, is a physical freak, and he can make all the throws. He's probably the most athletic player on, on the field. And, you know, he is getting annoying. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know what's it going to take for him to get these calls or not. But at some point, if he gets injured, then they're going to regret for not making those calls earlier. Well, the officials have to make the clear. They have to do their job. And it's not like there were small hits that you didn't see it. Like, these were pretty obvious hits. Yeah, in the head. In the head. Helmet to helmet, and they didn't make the calls. And it's funny because last year, even in the midst of his MVP run, he was saying that I get treated differently than most of the other quarterbacks in the league. Take with that comment what you will. It I was put on display perfectly last night. I think because he's a mobile quarterback, officials expect him to take more hits because he's gonna—he's not like a Tom Brady or Drew Brees, who are pretty stationary in the pocket. That's true. Like but Aaron Rodgers, I guess, or Ben Roethlisberger, you make the similar comparison where Ben—I think Ben doesn't get as many calls. He doesn't get many calls. Aaron Rodgers does get calls. I think it's just the way you are as a quarterback. If you're really brolic and big, you won't get as many calls. But if you're like a small, skinny type of quarterback or just like a slim, I mean, Tom you won't get six many. five. Yeah, but Tom Brady is like the golden boy of the NFL. Yeah, that's you won't why get, it's you won't get any. Four <laughs> still, but still, like if there was hits on hit Brady like that, you know there'll be flags everywhere every time. I don't know when Brady to- when Brady got hit, and I, I don't remember what year. I think it was after they went then sixteen and zero when they lost the Giants in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, when he got when he tore his ACL that year, I don't know was there a flag on that play. He no, got, was low, Bernard. So that no. was when Bernard Pollard yeah, ended yeah, the yeah, season. Went he right didn't get a flag. So maybe. They just – the officials just missed the call. We're reading I remember the opening it. game two that was on our, was on our website. It was on the top ten. That was one of the moments. And then because that changed the, the introduction to the world to Matt Castle. So <laughs> yeah, that went, went up five Can we just though. say that Matt Castle has played himself into NFL relevancy forever just off of that season? He yeah. keeps getting jobs. Where is he at now? Is he st- I think he might actually be out of the league this well, year. He's been so bad. He was in Buffalo time. last year. Thanks now. Yeah, but, you know, I don't know if you could honestly say the Cam – I do think he is treated a little differently, but maybe officials just missed the calls. But it, it, you can, when you watch some of those hits, it's like, how did they miss that? Well, I mean, just a few years ago, Drew Brees got hit uh, from 49ers game. looked like a, a cartoon type of hit because he saw his neck and everything just pull in. It's just like – I just think a lot of it that. has to do – because when Colin Kaepernick was playing, he didn't get a lot of those calls. <laughs> oh, it's just the Green a Bay game. The Green Bay game, he got abused too in that so game. So I think a lot of that. it is because if you're a mobile quarterback, officials are going to expect you to get hit. and Because once you leave the pocket and once you start running, you're not uh, – you have no intention of throwing the ball. I'm not saying that's what happened with Cam Newton in these particular scenarios. You're not – you don't become a quarterback anymore. You can become a running back or someone with the ball trying to make a play. So it's the defense's job to hit you, and the officials have to, I guess, officiate you as if you're not a quarterback and not with the over. But still, rules. though, you got hit in the head like at least twice yesterday. And, and that's, and that's really inexcusable. What that's that's what we're all agreed on. That that the, definitely should have been The penalties called. were offset when he had intentional grounding, and then he got hit in the head, which I thought he should have been at least 15-yard penalty for getting hit in the head, and not with the, well, with when the after, intentional grounding. I think when Cam Newton is at the press conference and he can't remember how the game ends, <laughs> there's clearly a – a miscommunication and protocol right there between the Carolina Panthers and the NFL and the doctors. So that was definitely a mistake. That I has thought to be it was a serious injury, though, when he got sacked by DeMarcus Ware and he put, put his body forward and I think he almost had like a back injury, for instance. And then he was on the, on the field, like, all in motion and, and he's, like, in pain. Like, yeah, we, in pain. we never really saw much of that last yeah, year. Yeah, even when Cam Newton <laughs> got into that car accident, like, the pictures, he was smiling. Like, like he was perfectly, like, you know, able to take it. And, and then, like, you see him in pain, it's just – Something that you don't really 
It hurts. Especially with a big guy at 6'5", he can take a lot of hits, and you know he's getting beat up if he's showing it on his face. I don't think a lot of quarterbacks could take that much, uh, you know, like punishment. So like is it yesterday. more of the Carolina Panthers' offensive line is terrible or that Denver is just that great defensively? Denver's defense is Denver's still great. Denver's just that still good, great. and it's not even close because we got to remember in that first half, Carolina, they didn't quite have their way, but they were able to move up and down the field. Kelvin Benjamin, welcome back to the league. Opened up with a score, oh, and, and at this point, they have good pe- corners too, Denver. So that's true. A keep to lead, Chris Harris, and Chris Harris. So between them, you're thinking, okay, maybe Carolina's got an edge, but they bared down in that second half. Von Miller showed up yet again, and honestly, <laughs> this is going to be a unit that's really going to take some heads off. Because if this was a Carolina team. That struggled to put up 17, well, after that first half, what does that say for the rest of the league? Well, we've talked about this a while. For Ever since Carolina was 15-1, you know this, and I'm the same way with Arizona. I just don't believe that they're that great of a team. I've said this the entire time. I think a lot of the Carolinas wins when they went 15-1 <coughs> last year. They got they were able to take advantage of a lot of circumstances. I'm a big Seattle guy. I always think Seattle is the, with the Legion of Boom, Russell Wilson. <coughs> be interesting to see them without Marshawn Lynch, but I really do think that Seattle's the best team in that in the NFC right there. I'm just not a big, you know, Carolina, um, Carolina Arizona guy. That's just not me. Me neither. And Arizona's defense, I think, is slated to be one of the better units this but year. I just don't Top trust five, Bryce Palmer. Exactly. That's really what <laughs> you look it at is. that playoff game last year. It was a, it was just a complete mess. I mean, Arizona's still going to be great, but. Well, I don't you know, know like they're they going to be po- good. They'll probably go like tw- 10 and 6. Yeah, so that's not Seattle great. Seattle go 13 and 3. I well, think. I, you know, Seattle's a second half team. They tend to gel at the second half. You yeah. look at last year, Seattle struggled during the beginning of the year. Then they kind of found their groove. They beat Minnesota. And then they Carolina jumped out on them. But then Seattle almost comes back. Yeah. So I've. Seattle, I don't think Seattle's going to be great this year, though. They're going to, they're probably going to win the, the the division and probably be the one. Well, it's a tough two division. Seed. You have the Rams with a good defensive line, quarterback situation. They always their best against Seattle. You have exactly. You have Seattle, Arizona in that division. So that's a tough division. San Francisco is terrible. So you know, it's not. Yeah, they're they're going to be last place. Maybe. Well, yeah, they're, they're awful. Since we're looking at the rest of the teams, which Week One matchup really stands out to you guys? It's a tough call. Well, this was always. I lo- I loved opening night though. If you look at it. So you have the schedule in front of you. Which one are you looking at right now? Right now, the big game for me is New Orleans at Oakland. Oakland's a good team. Because A, Oakland's a sneaky good team. And B, New Orleans is back to its shootout days. Well, New Orleans never left their shootout days. Touche. Touche. Greg Williams just kind of masked it a little bit when they went on their Super Bowl run. But I think the real key for this game is – we get to see whether the breakout of David Carr was a placebo or whether he's the real whether deal. It was a fluke. Yeah, I think David Carr is a good quarterback. He's going to be a good quarterback. I think Oakland really actually, for once, drafted well. If with him and um, they have a big three. The linebacker. Uh, the uh, Mac, I believe. Yeah. They have a big three on the offense, though. So well, they have a, they, Oakland is getting a lot better if you look at their playoff team, playoff chances. So they're, I mean, San Diego's falling apart, really. If you look at the division, like I think Oakland's really stepping it up. I think they could actually make some. Maybe not make the playoffs. Maybe like eight and eight, seven. No, nah, I think they'll be. I think they'll make the wild card. I think they could make the wild card. <laughs> they all well, fit, you have to see if David, the defense, of, of, has adjusted to David Carr. They, they have tape on him now. Maybe they'll be able to make some adjustments, disguise some things, to exploit his weaknesses. That's so true. But to to really sort of propel the Raiders' argument, you have what's touted as the second best O-line in the league behind Dallas. So that means Latavius Murray has 
time to do things out of the backfield. David Carr will have time in the pocket. And Michael Crabtree, man, what a resurgence for him last year. Yeah. After years in San Fran where I don't know whether he was just forgotten about or maybe well, he really maybe was his quarterbacks that. weren't that great. Smith had a lot of rough years and then look what's happened to Colin Kaepernick. But speaking of Dallas, I'm interested in the Dallas New York Giants. Yeah, I'm actually interested in that one too. Because it's gonna be in the da- Giants made a lot of moves in the offseason. They if you look at how the Giants played in preseason, not that great. Mm-hmm. But and with Tony Romo out though, it's gonna be interesting to see Dak Prescott. Even though I'm not a big Dak Prescott guy, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But <laughs> I mean with the I don't think it's gonna be interesting to see how Dak Prescott adjusts to facing number one defenses and you know calling audible to the line, identifying schemes, and that's going to be interesting to see. I think I think that Prescott is going to have one of those, uh, I think, Russell Wilson games, like the first couple games where he's going to struggle. But they're going to be in the game. But I think well, Dallas' defense play. is inconsistent. Yeah, that's the only thing. And I don't even know how the Giants' offense will be. Are they going to be like the preseason? Is it going to be like the preseason where they, they couldn't score or are they going to just now take it to another level no, and I think the season starting? If you look at where the Giants are, with who's coming back, you have Victor Cruz, Odell Beckham. They have a decent tight end. They upgraded the O-line a little bit. And Eli under Ben McAdoo's had two of the best years of his entire career. So I think they're actually poised for a decent year this year. Well, let's see what Victor Cruz is. At least if he's 80%, let's see what Odell's going to be. He's going to be the same as he was last year, probably better. And we'll see if Eli can, you know, make plays. I feel like the tight end position, at least for the Giants, you've always had somebody. Well, we remember coming up in the shocky years back in the 2000s. Yeah. And then yeah, Kevin, like yeah, like Kevin, Kevin Balls for like a half Bear a year. Pasco. It's always been a revolving door. So I think between Larry Donnell and Will Ty, it's, they need Donnell, to have big games. Larry Donnell could stay healthy. And he's shown he could be productive and, and catch the ball. Him. Exactly. So <laughs> I still can't forget that one game where it was right there and he just dropped it. Larry Donnell, he's had some he drops the easy catches, but, but he makes the big passes for some reason. You know, there was that game where he caught four touchdowns <laughs> against the Redskins. So yeah, and I picked him up for fantasy football the next day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the four touchdowns. Oh, you're a big fantasy football guy, aren't you? Yes. How are you doing in that, by the way? Well, when I bench Benjamin, that really crushed my heart yeah. because he had 15 <laughs> points. We're, 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 we're really out here throwing shots over Kelvin Benjamin already. Well, I'm going to start him next year. I mean, next week, and hopefully he does the same thing, or, he, or at least somewhat, you know, 12 or 13 points. Yeah, go ahead, start him next year. See so we already we looked at the Giants-Cowboys. <laughs> How about the other local team, the Jets-Bengals? Well, this is an important game for the Jets because they got to set t- the tone right now that there's going to be a playoff contender this year, so they got to win against the Bengals, if anything. I think regarding <laughs> that game – we got to see what Ryan Fitzpatrick is made of because it, I think it all starts and ends with him. We already know the, def- the we already know the defense is going to be at worst a top ten unit. They weren't great against the pass last year. That front seven, that front eight, depending on who plays what, is still going to be a very strong presence for them. But if Ryan Fitzpatrick can't move the ball, getting Matt Forte means nothing. Having Marshall and Decker mean nothing. And whoever is supposed to play tight end, because at this point I really don't know who slotted. Well, if you looked at they cut Jason Morrow, and then when they – there was an Instagram post that Jeff Cumberland, a former Jet tight end, tied, um, commented on. They goes, well, they should have kept Jeff Cumberland. He says, no, the Jets don't know how to use tight ends right. <laughs> I asked to be released. So I, <laughs> I guess I guess their Jets don't value the tight end position as much. Well, but Jason Morrow's second-round pick was – the minute that – I think they had buyers remorse on that immediately. He was a terrible blocker. He jetted. Couldn't really catch the ball well. 
they, they and then played he called the out Rex Ryan part. after he got fired. He's like, well, it's good to have a coach with some who's going to actually hold us accountable. And then a year later, he's cut. So I probably he probably regrets those comments. That's one of those high upside John Idzik picks that make you go, you've got. Yeah, John Idzik. Did a solid job when they had those twelve draft picks. <laughs> How many of those draft picks are actually still? <laughs> well, thankfully Sheldon's still around. No, they, yeah, that was the one year. Then, then the next year they had like twelve draft picks, and they used all twelve. And I, how many I of them are literally I, still on the you're team? You're right. I think they're all gone. Because yeah, Leonard all gone. Williams was McCagnan. Yeah, yeah but the year, they had a first Edzix, round pick. Edzix. They had like a they yeah. fourth round pick. They cut that year. Jalen Saunders. They cut him. Did they cut like, like Quincy Newman was in that draft, so he's still around. But most of those guys are just gone. Except for maybe Dexter. Oh, wait, that was McCagney. Mc- All yeah. the good moves have been McCagney. No, Dexter yeah. McDougal. Wait, Dexter McDougal was Izzik. No, Dexter McDougal was Izzik. Izzik. Izzik era is over, all right? All these players are gone. And well, they're, they're not. We just said that, you know, Quincy Noon was still on the team. Only the, uh, the only player probably, you know, everybody that he's actually got a decent pick of. And we don't know. Well, Chris he, Ivory was a good move. And he was a good move, Richardson? Yeah, Sheldon. Richardson. What? He may be a knucklehead, but he's a th- one of the best players at his position. It's not even close. I just hope he just, you know, stays Wait, on the Muhammad field. Wait, Muhammad Wilkerson, too, no? No, no, that no, was before. No, that, that was long before. Yeah, that was long before. Wilkerson was like 11. Only Sheldon Richardson at least stays on the field and doesn't get in trouble all the time. Well, you could say he's a knucklehead, but he's a great player. Yeah, you need players like that sometimes. But the offensive line of Ryan Fitzpatrick are going to determine how well the Jets do because you are right about their defense with Todd Bowles being a defensive head coach. They're absolutely – the ability that they have with the front four, with the defensive line. I mean, losing Damon Harrison is going to be – is a bigger loss than people realize. He's one of the best nose tackles in the league, and especially losing the Crosstown Giants, which is tough. But I think, however, the Jets will go as far as Ryan Fitzpatrick and the offensive line take them. And he himself said that I'm a better player than I was Talk last year. Which is Talk hard. Is which for me Will is hard to believe because he missed the entire OTA's minicamp and yeah. got just started a week in the training camp. Yeah, talk is cheap. I want to see if he does it on the field. Let's see if he does it against the Bengals first, and then we'll go from there. He had a career high in passing touchdowns last year. It's going to be so, tough to pass. Yeah, but we talked about this le- a couple weeks or last week, too. When you look at the Fitzpatrick arc of his career, he comes in as a backup, starter gets hurt, he fills in, has a really good year. Then gets he a contract, gets a big contract, and, and then he falls off, and then the cycle repeats itself. You think it's different this year? You think it'll be different? I, I, tough to say. I mean, the, he has, this is the most talented With roster he's ever been on. I mean, so maybe it'll this be different. is true. So maybe it'll be different. What other what real moves offensively did they make other than Matt Forte that they made it so much more talented? The one important move that every team needs to have chemistry. He didn't. He that's was, not. He, a that's move. not even a move. And he was out for. We just said he was out for OTAs and minicamp. But they still develop a lot of chemistry. How right? he wasn't because there for f- well, what they got months. from last year, and then got that whole month of preseason, even though he, he just he signed back there. to the team. No, I'm not saying OTAs. I'm just saying in August, like you know those games that but they played. But that's not enough. So if he's this is the most talented team, they didn't really make any additions, arguably offensively. But if you but if you're saying that <laughs> in his in his whole career, this is the this is the most talented team he's been on, then yeah, I don't I, know because last agree. year they it's pretty much the same team they brought back. Same team. I think. For, I, think Forte, I think. For, I think. Forte is a slight an improvement. Upgrade, a he's not slight. slight. I think he's an upgrade over Ivory. Ivory can really catch I up think the backfield. That's a big name. I don't know if he's really that big of an upgrade. It I'll just might be that. the name Matt Forte. So, what do you think of the key points for the Jets to win against the Bengals, though? That's well, the they question. have to be able. to – Ryan Fitzpatrick can't turn the ball over like well, he did against Buffalo thing. last year. That's uh, secondly, they gotta learn how to. Co- they gotta contain all uh, Dalton's receivers somehow. Well, they'll they'll put the defense aside. on AJ Green. So. Like that's all, pretty much all you have. Because let's face it, both defenses are top ten units. It it literally goes down to whether or not Ryan Fitzpatrick can can make control the, the offense and make the rules. like that. That's the game. That's literally the he game. He has to be a game manager. 
He doesn't have to win it. He just has to not screw it up. Exactly. Yeah. He has to not lose it. It's a great point. Make sure Brad Marshall and Everett get their touches and touchdowns because they're important too. So we're done with the NFL, at least for now. But let's put that in contrast with college football. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to give myself away with this argument. If the NFL was a 21-gun salute, college football opening weekend, fireworks on the 4th of July. It's really not close. Uh, well, Notre, Dame, Tex- Notre Dame, Texas by itself. Boom. But to that point, you can't really judge the NFL's opening weekend right now when it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But, okay, <laughs> then, then let's do this. Take the best game of the opener against this opening night game from the NFL, which was still a pretty good game. It's a, it's a tough sample size, but it, it's worth it. Yeah, excitement with the NFL, but I would agree with you. The college football opening weekend was unbelievable. You have upsets with LSU losing, and then you have the Texas-Notre Dame game with – Texas going into two overtimes and getting a top – I think they're ranked in the top 25 for the first time under Charlie Strong. You know, Texas is back after that. There was some trolling with some uh, internet accounts where, like, Notre Dame, you can still pick up, you know, a win coming up, like, to some restaurant. Yeah, the, Flor- <laughs> the Florida comeback, too. I mean, that yeah. was a great game. But the college football opening weekend was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, mean, college football is just starting, though. But, you know, weeks go by because a lot of people are panicking about how the S- – Yeah, but every uh, game is uh, so uh, important. Every SEC game is so teams important losing. in college football, though. Yeah, because of Every, rankings. Exactly. But even with the playoffs, you lose one game, your season could be over. So every game is that vital. Like, if you look at Notre Dame right now, or That's better yet, loss. And, and better yet, let's look at Houston for a second. Because Houston, under Tom Herman, they really blew the doors off. And they play in the American, which isn't a great football conference. That's a conference where they need to run the table and, like, pick up a win against the Louisville or something like that just to be in that top four conversation. And then if you look back, say, like, um, Texas, who beat Notre Dame, right? If Texas loses the rest of the games and Notre Dame wins the whole th- wins out, that loss against Texas is going to look terrible. So every game is so important because the implications of each loss, because there's so few games, on, especially the playoff standings, are just too well, vital. Well, the only problem I have with college football is the seeding. You know, they got to wow. say, because sometimes when some team has an easier schedule and they say they run the table, they won't get the number one. Well, number but it's going to be a schedule. And, and the committee is going to actually judge that. Like when when Ohio State made it as a number four seed, yeah. they barely edged out two Big 12 teams, which will, again, further my argument, if you don't have a conference championship game, you are not a conference champion, period. So do you think that the playoffs should expand? Do you should be six teams? Six. That's the number I'm going with. I think the I think the alternative was six or eight. I think eight's too much. Eight's too exactly. much. Six, six, I go with Give six. The, and here's the thing. We already, at least I personally feel like the whole double buy thing only works in football because of the physical toll it takes on the body. You could get a little, um, you know, not as sharp with a couple weeks off. That is true, but. This would be a perfect opportunity to let the number one and number two seed rest off for a bit, make three play six, four play five, and one and two take the winners. But then you might be competing with NFL playoffs. I guess. That's true. Well, they, they, stopped, they, do, they stopped doing that whole New Year's Eve thing, which was weird. What, college football? I mean, uh, on New Year's yeah. Eve. Well, they wanted, they, to make, they wanted to make New Year's Eve like the NBA is Christmas. Yeah, which that was, was That wasn't going to happen. That wasn't going to no, happen. It was dumb. I'm glad they stopped. You can't beat the NBA Christmas. I mean, well, that's, no, I'm that's saying, I'm not saying games. you can't beat them. I'm saying they wanted to take a day and make it the, the day of the sport. 
But New Year's Eve. But New, is New not Year's Eve, though. New Year's Eve is. Well, not I'm, that I'm, saying, I'm not saying it was a good idea. I'm oh yeah, that's just what they're trying to do. I, I, no, I, I get that. I get that entirely. I just feel like if they're going to do that, they they can't afford to staple it to a day like like you said, like the NBA. Do you do you agree though? Because you watch a lot of college football, that the conferences got better than the SEC. As of right now, it's only one week. Well, that's it. And a lot of people overreact. Yeah, a lot. That's what a lot of people say. And I, I agree with that. You know, you react for one week, but you know how people are. They say after one week, because all the SEC teams have been they lost. They're like, oh, the conferences got better. The Big Twelve, you know, ACC, all these other teams. And First of like, all, the the Big Twelve shouldn't really even be talking right now because the Big Twelve has historically, at least in the past few years, TCU didn't make it, and the one time they made it to a Big. Rose Bowl game, they got smacked. And this was before, rather, this was after their whole Cinderella Mountain West Conference, before the jump to the Big 12 itself. The Big 12 has a lot to prove, to be quite honest with you. All right, great. Let's go to baseball. I am very tempted to lead with the I can't believe this actually happened news, but I don't know. Let, let, let's figure it out. Do we go with the I can't believe this happened news or do we stick to actual baseball first? You don't want to talk about Because it makes no sense. And now me saying not I don't want to talk about him is going to lead you all into talking about yeah, him, which was my segue. big mistake. <laughs> thanks for the segue. It's, it's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's, it's, he hasn't it's played a baseball in 10 years, and the last time he did was in high school. Also, I may have missed this, but t- excuse me if I'm wrong. He couldn't throw in the NFL. So how is he going to make a throw from right field to third base if a guy's tagging up? Well, even I'm in my layman experience, throwing a baseball is different from throwing a football. He can't throw. He can't throw a football spiral. How is, all right, fine. You baseball? even forget that. How is he going to hit an off-speed pitch from a guy? What if, how is he If he faces Clayton Kershaw. He's oh, he's able, done. Exactly. Yeah, he's done. Makes <laughs> no sense. He can't, he can't face Clayton Kershaw right now. You know, the Mets yeah, say that ready, they, yeah. this really screams – the money the Mets have been notorious with after they got took by Bernie Madoff. They said they don't have any money problems. But when you sign a guy like Tim Tebow, it screams, "Please come watch us play!" It's like it's not really putting the re- the uh, it's not putting the bed the rumors that we have money problems. If you're signing a guy who's a probably the sole purpose to sell tickets. What if, what if Tebow's a star out of nowhere? Yeah, because it's not gonna happen. So which well is not, which I don't, I don't, <laughs> which I don't believe in. But and why let's say it comes Tim out of nowhere. Come back here because it worked out so great the first he time. Loved, with, he loves New, New York. He loves New York for some reason. Yeah, because it worked out so great the first time. The Jets only destroyed his career. The attention. Maybe he wants. He wants I mean, the no, attention. To, to be no, fair, his former Jet teammates like Eric Decker, <laughs> who was with him in Denver. Denver yeah. He said that Tim Tebow is actually a really great guy. He I'm not can't saying help. he's not. And I'm, and I'm oh, saying he can't help that. the attention that he brings. So that I may not. Skip Bayless for that. <laughs> 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 but I really think that this Tebow move. It screams. It's, like, no. it's not. It doesn't make sense. He's going to play in the instructional league. I mean, the MLB is probably pumped because I think MLB Network airs those games. So they're going to get some decent ratings. So. <laughs> But it's it's. Oh, they, they have, have a, cr- they haven't gone to the AFL in fact. <laughs> they have a crowded outfield. It makes no sense. The last thing the Mets need is outfield help. Unless they're gonna make him play first base, because that's the only other place they can put him. Uh, yeah, Tim Tebow's not feeling it. A hot shot ground ball. <laughs> <laughs> 
Imagine a lefty comes up and knocks a what, what pulls a hard ground ball to Tim Tebow. That's gonna end great. What if Tebow becomes like a star though? He's not that's, going to. But let's just say like in a year. I mean, he, he's almost he, thirty he, years in a old, year. right? Yeah, he's twenty nine. He's, so, he's not gonna play. He's not gonna play like a. Much but he's not this gonna year. be a, like. Okay, I don't so that means he's gonna become a star at age thirty. What in sport he hasn't played in ten years? Wow. I mean, he has the he has the physical talent. But he does. He but has to lose some weight at six. I know he's not. I know he's not the skills. He's not the skills though. So how's he gonna you be a star? You never know though. He could. I will I say this. Could he happen. could develop it because he is. Even for all of his struggles in the <laughs> NFL, he's still a world class athlete overall. And for one thing, the Mets now they have. Uh, a sign, like a, g- a positive sign, because you know how Tebow, how is Tim because Tebow a positive sign, because you know how like sometimes Tebow, when you put he's him, he's not going to be in the clubhouse. He's going to be the minor leagues. He's not gonna, they didn't <laughs> sign him to be a positive sign in the mascot. They signed him to hope he contribute. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I'm just saying, like, what if, what if like suddenly they they turn around because of him? Or you can stop in what now. Way? You At can what stop now. You can make? stop now. For the record, the last two sport athlete. To ever be of relevance was Brian Jordan back with the Braves. What about, you know, no, Deion Sanders no, was before No, him? yeah, Deion Sanders was before okay. him. And then Brian Jordan went to the Braves. Falcons, Cardinals a little too. Bit. And the Fa- yeah, started with the Falcons and then played 15 years in baseball. So. I, I hope he does well. I hope people does well, though, to be honest. I think this is going to be a Why? second chance for him to, like, you know, play in the North sport and be good at it, or decent at least. Because there's so many successful two-sport athletes around. I literally only named two names in maybe 50 years of dual sport athletes even being a thing. Actually, technically, a got centri- Bo Jackson and Jim Thorpe. Either way, though, I'm, I'm rooting for Tebow. I just want to see if he does good. I think, be, I think it'll be good for him and maybe for the MLB. I'm sure Tim Tebow is really concerned about what you think is good for him. So the He's 2016 guy, Mets. So the Thank 2016 you. Mets are in the wild card hunt. In fact, if the season ends today, they win the second wild card. All they I can need say to is make wow. the playoffs. Oh, playoffs that's a hundred percent. But I'm still surprised at how it happened. And this again begs the question: In June, early July, Mets fans were calling for Terry Collins' head because of his poor in-game management decisions. I think they still are. But they're in the playoff hunt now. So what happens if the Mets make the playoffs? Well, Better yet, do you think they have a chance of making the Well, playoffs? yeah, they're in the wild card. And like you said, the season ended today. They get the second wild card. But I think it's more about how they've kind of underachieved, if you think about it. Coming off a of World Series berth, National um, League champions, and then you're struggling to fight for a wild card spot. I mean, the Mets. The, you had a lot to say about Tim Tebow, and you had yeah. to wait for this? <laughs> Well, I'm saying the Mets, they, like I said, I think hopefully, I, I hope they do, but if they make the playoffs, then they can erase all this, you know, talk about well, it. Well, not if they get blitzed in the wild card game. Well, who wants to say they won't get Well, they won't get blitzed, though. They have Says to, they have who? To, they have the starting pitching, at least, to at least make it a game. I'm now, not saying they'll win. What if arm falls apart? Well, then tired. they're screwed, then. Well, yeah. So they <laughs> can, yeah. yeah. And that's if you start DeGrom. If you start Syndergaard, whose arm is still bothering him, by the way. Well, then they're screwed, too, then. So it's then tough they're, with they're all these young then. pitchers are well, having then. arm problems at the exact same time. Well, well, then they're screwed, then. So it's just like, you know, it is what it is. I just think that, um, in general, though, the Mets, if they figure it out and they find a way to get in, then hopefully they're in. And hopefully that, you know, if the way I see it, it all depends on what, Cespedes doesn't the playoffs too because if he at least plays well, where he is right now, then they have a chance. Him. 
Yeah, that th- that's a thing too. So they gotta make the playoffs because he might just leave them no, after this the year. No, if he plays incredibly well, they may not be able to afford him. I don't think they can afford him now. I don't think they can either. Which kind of stinks because another year and who somehow is like twenty five home runs with thirty RBIs, which is unbelievable. Which kind of stinks because he's God. like the, he's the basically their star of the team. Well, he's obviously, the but the Mets have money problems. They, the Mets are a big market team, but they're managed like they're a small market <laughs> team. That makes no sense. I don't understand why and they, they should have gotten they, like got, they lost half their money in the Bertie Madoff scandal. And they're st- and they're still trying to deal with it because they, they say they're loan. over it and they're not. They got a loan from MLB for like a ton of like a ton of money. They got this. They they have to settle with like the victims of Bertie Madoff. The Mets have a tremendous amount of money problems. They do. But so good luck to them. But the Yankees is are unbelievable. The, the Mets are seventy four and sixty six, and the Yankees are seventy four and sixty five. This is fun. Fu- I, I saw that coming. Nobody, myself included. And let me say this. I've always had a baseball theory, which is, it's a weird one, but follow me here. I always like to watch. It's Quas weird theories, not Ray's weird theories. <laughs> like, I've always liked watching a baseball team have its walk-off celebrations. Because you can see when a team has fun, you know that there's mojo, or at least there's youth, yeah. or they could be future because they haven't won in a long time. They're really excited. But for the most part, usually from really exciting successful exactly. teams for the first few months of the year even with the thrilling ones they had when they had walk-off celebrations miserable it, they were just like yay it's over we can finally go home tyler austin it's that walk-off home run sterling castro's excited again Didi's always been excited you got aaron judge brett garner looks excited again he when he gets the home the night, which is yeah and they all get the home plate they're dumping the water cooler Everybody is just jovial. I think the resurgence of the real the implementation of the youth movement, it just brought another energy. And that's why everyone's so excited. It's like they're all experiencing all this for the first time. And their attitudes are, I guess, um, rubbing off on the veteran players. It's literally, we're here till you push us out. We still remember what organization we You know, they're with. making baseball fun again for the veterans like Mark Deshera, who are struggling, Brian McCann. And so. If only A-Rod was still here. Yeah, because that would make it go. <laughs> I'm an A-Rod guy, but oh boy. It's, it's almost like the, the page was completely Once A-Rod turned. left, so now everyone's, they, everyone decided to remember how to hit. All right, Ray, what's this bold prediction? I'm trying to think now. You I lost it? Lost <laughs> I was going to say I was gonna say that if the Yankees make the playoffs, I think they'll be the dangerous team in the, in the in MLB. That's not a dangerous! Did you, oh did you say God. the most dangerous team? But in the playoffs. Maybe when they had their bullpen, but I don't think now that they don't have the three-headed monster. They have a decent bullpen now, but I think Dylan Batanzas is too inconsistent. That's my problem with him from the beginning. He'll either strike everybody out, walk the ballpark, or then walk the ballpark and then strike everybody out after that once he walks the ballpark. There's no in-between. I still think they're going to be a, a, a team to watch, though, in the playoffs if they make it. Yeah, let's hope they get there first. So the question begs to be asked, who's more likely to stick? Who's more likely to get it done? Probably the Mets. The Yankees. I think I, I mean I, as a Yankee fan, I'm hoping the Yankees, but uh, probably the Mets. If you look at their lineup, their starters. At some point, you have to assume that when the Yankees are playing these teams who are in the playoff race, once they get some scouting reports on their youth on their young guys, they'll be able to adjust to them. And the thing is, they've already been doing that with Judge, but Tyler Austin has Gary Sanchez has slowed down a little bit though. That's very true. So they once they get the scouting report on these guys. I think the Yankees will slow down a bit. I think you could argue the Yankees might have a brighter future than the Mets, especially if the starting pitchers with the Mets have all these arm problems. But I think right now the Mets are more of a win-now team, which is evidenced by their birth in the World Series last year. And to sort of close out of the baseball segment of this episode, 
I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'm picking the Yankees to have more likely a shot of sticking with the playoffs because they control their own destiny. That's true. Away. They play a bunch. I think the whole month, aside from maybe one series, they play divisional opponents. This is all about the Yankees right now. If they win the games they're supposed to win, they're in the playoffs. Well, obviously, if you win every game, you're going to make playoffs. Yeah, but I'm saying for de- and for because de- they have to jump over a lot of teams. But I believe, though. Well, right now the Mets literally are in the playoffs if the season ended today, which is why I'm saying if the, the you can say the Yankees control their own destiny, the Mets kind of do also. They're literally in the playoffs if the season ends today. For some reason, though, I believe the Yankees more than the Mets that are making the playoffs. I don't know. I just feel like well, the Mets' of arms. Tradition. The Mets collapse <laughs> in September <laughs> 2007, and then this close. When they're this close, yeah, they collapse. But I, I just see, like, the Yankees and, and the streak that they're on and, and the confidence that they're building with the, with the young players the baby bombers, um, I think they're going to make it. More than, or so than the Mets. So to close out the show, because in the midst of all this happening, this weekend, the induction to the Basketball Hall of Fame. You have Shaquille O'Neal, you have Allen Iverson, you have Yao Ming. Those are the headliners. You got Tom Izzo going in also. That's but the head, but what people are focused on are the three you mentioned. Exactly. That That's what I meant to say that is. And a big shout-out, by the way, to Tom Izzo, one of the best basketball coaches of the 2000s, point blank. Period. Absolutely. So Revitalized Michigan State basketball. Seriously, because it was really in a downturn after the, the, the Magic Johnson years. So when we look at – the three NBA stars that are scheduled to be inducted. My personal favorite speech and someone I'm really looking forward to seeing, and I'm 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 assuming that it's probably going to be a consensus here. It's got to be Helen Iverson. I might I might. Oh, you're going Shaq? Shaq. I'm going Shaq. Okay, I'm going Shaq. I'm going Shaq. So. Why you didn't think I was going to say Yao? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Allen Iverson. Allen, you were going to like we were going to talk about like our favorite moments of all these players. I think my f- favorite Allen Iverson moment happened yesterday when he showed up 90 minutes late for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I love Allen Iverson. Even uh, even always. I think it's gonna be great to see. I just, I just Stephen A. Smith presenting him to the Hall of Fame too. Like yeah. Oh, he worked. I think because he worked in Philly. Yeah, but like, I, so yeah, like, I just it's just gonna be amazing to see Allen Iverson. I'm really hoping Allen Iverson shows up because he's been doing this to every event. Everyone's showing up in a suit and a tie. Allen Iverson has showed up in the same Yankee hat and the same, the, just a straight T-shirt the entire time. So I'm really looking forward to Allen Iverson's speech. I think my favorite moment Iverson though was when he was in the All Star game and he made that circus shot Vince Carter. I think my, my favorite AI moment was when he stepped over Tyron Lue. Oh, that's everybody's favorite well, moment the, though. I mean, it's gotta be. <laughs> so but what? I, I I'm just trying to. Besides that moment, I'm just trying to say another moment. But also the crossover. He, also the crossover he, Michael Jordan. But it wasn't when he played in Turkey. <laughs> no. But for my AI movement moment, and I know I wasn't really young enough to comprehend it, but the courtesy of highlights and stuff, it really helps you relive it. It's got to be when he went up against Michael Jordan. Oh, when he crossed him over? Absolutely. Yeah. And plus, Allen Iverson was really the first star who, you know, was more into the NBA. Like, he really brought the hip-hop into the NBA and things like that. He's really more of a cultural icon. You can ask all these guys, Chris Paul, LeBron Absolutely. James. So his speech is expected to be really good, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. But every time Shaq gives a speech, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> if you saw the speech he gave when they introed him, when they announced the nominee, he just turned it into a roast and just completely lit into everybody who was there on that day. Oh, my goodness. It can't. It he, really there was can't. a thing that he offered. I think it was Cheryl Soups a million dollars if she fell on the red carpet, like walking through oh yesterday. My God. That's, so that's just so weird. Shaq doesn't take anything seriously. It's going to be <laughs> hilarious. So so what's, your, what's your favorite Shaq moment? Oh, that's a great question. It's like asking me what my favorite child is. 
don't know. Hey, you used that line oh, with Omar oh, Calhoun a couple weeks ago. You don't get to do that oh, again. I didn't say anything about it's that. I'm just saying line. your moment. Well, that, there's so many Shaq moments. You kiss LeBron James. You kiss Tracy McGrady. Like, oh, besides the funny moment. Kobe, you can't do it without Yeah, me. that one. <laughs> I think my favorite moment was when he broke the, the uh, backboard. When he was one on one, even alive for that. That was on. That? That was on we MTV. were kids. We were well, kids. I was on MTV. So it's, it's, it's just it's, like yeah, a practice. I was a solid yeah. one year old when that happened. <laughs> it was. But I saw when I saw a video though, it was just so funny because he just broke that and it, it's like he's so strong. As yeah. far as a, a Shaq moment, I actually saw live. It was actually back when he was with Phoenix. As far as my favorite moment, because listen, with the, Phoenix. The, which yeah, one? The part I, where I, I know it's random, because. It just goes to show how Shaq could really change with the times because he was an athletic freak in Orlando, and he was the big and smiley guy. Angels. True. And then with L.A., he was the big diesel. When he was with Miami, he was sort of that older veteran that you could sort of lean on. And somehow in Phoenix is where he reinvented himself. The one all-star year he had, he averaged like 18-9. Uh-huh, and that's where he kind of reinvented himself into this Really kind of lovable, big personality when he did the thing being a sheriff or whatever. That's what stands out to me because instead of being this fearsome, this big, this behemoth, he was weirdly relatable. When, when you look at Shaq's overall career, do you think he underachieved? No. I don't think so. I don't so. think so either. You I understand. I, I understand why because his potential was so huge that do no 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 I, I i think i get why you're saying that because he had the potential to do some really amazing things how, how many defensive player of the year awards did he win how many years did he lead the league in rebounding i'm gonna assume the answer to the first question is one defense player of the year no Shaq oh, never won. Never won how many mvps okay. did Shaq win one. zero one. one 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 that was 2001 I think it was the year where he would have been the first unanimous MVP, but Fred Hickman voted for somebody else. Fred yeah. Hickman. Yeah, so, but yeah, I really think he underachieved. You look at some of the finals he was doing when he was putting up like 38 and 17. If Shaq, if he concentrated more, got himself in better shape, that's the whole problem he had with Kobe. He wouldn't be in better shape. Th- that team doesn't break up. They win at least two or three more well, championships. So that right there is an underachievement. I don't think. I think if you ask Shaq, I don't think he'd do anything differently. He did it his <laughs> way, and he probably enjoyed doing it. But I really think he could have been like the next dominant big man, like the guy like Bill Russell with winning multiple championships in a row. I mean, he did win three. You can't take that away from him. But I really do think a guy like Shaq, who was so dominant, no one who could have guarded Shaq early in those years. Nobody, because he could run and uh, jump. The but whole even problem. when they doubled him, he could he could pass out of the double team. He was such a good player that people don't understand. People just think it's strength. Like when Vlade Divac says, you know, DeMarcus Cousins was is as good as Shaq because Shaq was just strong. No, Shaq had the touch. Shaq had post move. Shaq could pass out of the double team. He could run the floor. And it's just such a great juxtaposition, you know, between Shaq who didn't quite make the most of what was already great, at least in your opinion, and then you have Allen Iverson who's like 5'10", who maxed out, pounds. Maxed out yeah. everything. You could yeah. say he might be the best pound-for-pound player. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time, but guy with 5'11", 6 feet, 160 pounds. He made the most of whoever he was. What? And when I watched that documentary of him on, on, on Netflix about how he came up, you know, his inner demons and all that sort of stuff. It made me respect him more. When he went to jail. More. Yes. Before he went, had a chance to go to Georgia. And you could say Allen Iverson could have been a two-sport athlete. That's true because in football he was great. And, by the way, I'm not, I've am i never been a big Georgetown guy, but 
John Thompson Jr., he became my favorite coach just off of the way he embraced Allen Iverson, to be quite honest with you. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention Yao. It's kind of interesting. If you want to talk about underachievement, Yao, because of his injuries. Injury history. Because Yao was fantastic. Once he finally adjusted the physicality of the NBA, Yao was a really good player. I, I'm just saying, like, in general, um, for Shaq, before getting to Yao, I think the whole problem was him was, was always his work ethic, though. Well, I said that already. No, but I'm saying, like, so Kobe didn't push him. Uh, cause Kobe, Kobe did push Well, him. he did, but he didn't really have the mindset. Like, he was always, like, the funny guy. And that's just one thing he regret well, about his about, career. I don't think that's I think you're acting like Shaq didn't take the game seriously. But we're going to get to Yao. He, of course he, he took the game buddy. seriously. I just want to say that, but I'm saying for y'all, for instance, I mean, he made the best out of it even with all his injuries. And no, he, he didn't. He broke his foot, and he had a few good years, and then he never played again. Yeah, but I'm saying he when he was with the Rocket years, I'm saying he had he had good years. but The Rocket injuries. years were his only years. He didn't play It was 03 else. to like 09. And he made the best out of it. How? He had a broken foot. He couldn't play. But he he missed all-star. the whole year, and then... Well, yeah, all-star appearances, though. Because he got the most votes. Not saying that he's not a good player, but he was voted to start in the all-star game because he had a whole China backing him. How would you rate uh, Yao Ming, though, like the six years, though, he played in the league? Well, if he didn't get hurt, Yao would have been. I think the people are talking about how the big man doesn't really exist in today's NBA anymore. Yeah. I think a lot of that is because Yao got hurt. Because after Shaq was gone, you had no real dominant post player. And I think Yao really could have been that guy at 7'6". He had a little bit of a touch. He could shoot with all the hook. He could pass. I think Yao and Tracy McGrady could have been a solid dynamic duo, but both suffered from a ton of injuries. So I think when you look at Yao Ming, it's a career that – it's a lot of careers of what ifs. Shaq, you don't really have that issue because Shaq did win three championships, scored thirty thousand points, I think almost. But with Yao Ming, you look at it as like, oh, what if if Yao was able to stay healthy and not have a broken foot? So it's it's really going to be a fun weekend. The NFL will finally finish. We'll see week two of college football, and we'll see whether or not the SEC is as overrated as Reed's. Anyway, that's our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in and following us all the time you can subscribe to us on itunes and on soundcloud facebook slam city dunk 360 and also on the twitter for each and every one of us at morningstone at jeremy eps at n underscore a-s-o-n-y-e follow the podcast at slam city underscore 360 and the big site the dunk 360 there can only be one that's right see you next week